Father God, you are awesome. There is nobody like our God. Nothing can stand in your presence and say, I am greater than he. There is nothing that can stand in your presence and say, I created you. You are a self-sustaining, eternal, all-powerful, amazing God, and we bow down before you today. Thank you, Father. Amen. Good afternoon. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see your faces. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you chose to worship with us today. Um, so today we're gonna we're gonna do a little try to do a little bit differently. Uh, like I was telling Pastor Larry to earlier, we're gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about just a little bit about me. Talk a whole bunch about Elijah, and then I'm gonna talk uh, even more about Jesus. Is that okay? Okay, good, good. Before I do that, uh, the first time I preached, uh, I got an opportunity just to make a big deal um, uh, about uh, just important people in my life. And, and you know what? Um, I, just, I, I, I didn't do what I, what I should have did, and I want to correct that. Um, my mother is here today. Um, so... This is why this is a big deal. It's not because uh, my, my mother gets to see me preach or, uh, and it has a lot to do with this sermon today as far as this, where God has brought me and where he's taken us. Is the, the fact is my mom is a, a single mom who, who worked extremely hard. And uh, me and my brother put my mother through a lot of pain. Um, uh, I, I did a lot of of things to uh, rebel against the situation that I was in. Uh, I, and I, I, I just, I hurt her uh, so many ways. And um, I'm just glad that she uh, still continued to fight for me and support me. And I'm just wanna say that I love you. And I'm, So, if, if I can just be honest with you guys, and I'm just, uh, I, re I really want to try to be honest with you as much as, I, I sh listen, I'm listening to this song, and it says, Bow Down and Worship Him, and uh, it's a great song, it's an awesome song, it's a real song, it, it does a lot of things, you guys felt a lot of things, right? You, you felt how, how big God is, and you felt how unworthy you are. And uh, some of us may, may have even been brought to tears, and others may have just been forced to just stop singing altogether. Um, and you just and you, and you felt overwhelmed. And I was going to be honest to the simple fact that uh, there was a time when I would sing songs like that, and I would be—I I felt like I was worshiping. I felt like my hands were in the air, and I, I felt I was singing the right things, and I was—I was moved, and I couldn't understand couldn't understand why what I was feeling in, this, in the gathering wasn't carrying over to the rest of the week. And I just want to be honest with you, that, 
that was just my life for uh, uh, that was that was my reality for a long period of time. I don't know if this that's that's your reality. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just me. But that was my reality. I was I was functioning in 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 worship and prayer and joy in the gathering, and I was living in sin, destruction and bitterness throughout the rest of the week. And I could not understand why. And I started to realize that what I was having was this religious experience. But it wasn't until it was the the silent word of God when it creeped into my soul and it began to correct and began to change that what I was doing on Sunday began to carry over to the rest of my life. And I say that all to say for a reason. Me being here today, and, and possibly maybe even uh, um, at least the, the last time that I'll preach and, and until, uh, I mean, as long as I don't mess up, maybe I'll get invited back. Um, it's because that my life, uh, up until this point, has been a life of transition, a life of um, me trying to do things my way. And so for me to be here, it's bigger than just a going away sermon. It's bigger than just let's celebrate Thomas. Like this is, this is my life. I'm not just leaving and going on to a, a bigger, uh, or not even bigger, but a, a new opportunity. It's I'm leaving uh, the, the last six years of my life that has made me who I am today. Last, last sermon, I talked about the fact that um, like me and my me and my daughter, we we were sitting yesterday, and well, I, we didn't talk about this last sermon, but I just, me and my daughter were talking about what we were, all the amazing things that have happened here in Sickleville and at Epiphany. We're talking about all the spankings that she got, and we were talking about uh, <laughs> all she she yeah, she she remembers them all, and uh, <laughs> yeah, she's like, remember when I, <laughs> uh, so, but. These are these are major events in my life. Like I met my wife here. Like most people don't realize my first date was here at First Friday. <laughs> right? That's a good date. We we uh we went to we where we go Taco Bell. <laughs> yep. And then we saw what we see Born Identity. Did I buy popcorn? I even bought popcorn. Yeah, yeah. We um. I was married here. Uh, I fought addictions here. I watched my wife come down this aisle on this stage, and commit to love me. Uh, I fought for my marriage here. Um. I became a man here. My daughter was baptized here. My youngest, my middle daughter came to know Christ. My, my, my infant was christened here. So this is not just a, I was here for a couple years and now I'm leaving. I'm, this is family. And so all the way up until that point, until about three years ago, where I became, when I got on staff here, when I got to that point, I just knew that my plan was to do something great for God. I just knew that 
through my talents and my gifts that I was going to revolutionize the way Epiphany does work, does church. It was, I was a gift to Epiphany, not the other way around. I was going to uh, do amazing things and amazing tasks, and it was going to be excellent. And I was going, next thing, then I was going to write books, and I was going to travel, and people were going to want me to, to, to tell them how I did what I did. They were, I would have my own reality show, right? It's going to be called The Intern. And you would follow me everywhere on my journey as I became great for God's name, right? That first two months, it was nothing like I expected. I was getting in trouble. I was confused. I was tired. I was frustrated. I wanted to quit. I remember Pastor E calling me up to his office and basically in so many words, if you don't, if, if, if this doesn't change, I got I to gotta fire you. Like, what? This is church. <laughs> do, you, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? I painted the bookstore. You can't fire me. I decided that I was going to follow my own agenda for God's name. And today I want to talk about what that looks like when, when our agenda, when we, when we try to take our agenda and usurp it over God's master plan. To give you an illustration, and don't worry, we are going to get in the word, like this intern didn't even open his Bible yet. Um, to give you a, a better illustration, where, where, we, where we live in New Jersey, just about Every main entrance to get on the highway, you have to pay a toll. It's the dumbest thing ever. So it's usually about 45 cents, 75 cents, depending on how the closer you get to, the, to Atlantic City. So when I'm going home, when I'm, when I'm leaving here to come to, uh, to, to work, come to Philadelphia, I have to get on the Atlantic City Expressway. In order for me to get on Atlantic City Expressway, I got I to gotta pay 45 cents. But this is the brilliant thing about it. I have an easy pass. All right? So what this easy pass does is it gives me permission to pass by the guy who doesn't have an easy pass, who has to stop and look for 45 cents, and I get to pass him and laugh at him. So what I'm doing is when I get on this highway, I'm, I, what's, what, do, what do we first, what do we, what's our main goal when we first get on the highway? It's to merge and get to the far left and go as fast as we can, right? That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's our intention. That's what we're trying to do. Oftentimes, what ends up happening is that one car that's in the far right lane doesn't want to move to the middle lane so I can go about my business and do what I, my, what I intended to do. Because my, my sole goal is to have the traffic merge to my desires, my will, my purpose, which is to get to work. And I am extremely frustrated when anything stops me to do that because it's your fault that I woke up late and now I have to force myself to do this. So now, I'm trying to merge, I'm trying to get the traffic to merge to my will, do, 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 it, do what I want it to do, and it's not working. God is that highway, and he has a plan and he has a purpose, and he's asking us to merge with him to accomplish that purpose. And whenever we try to enter onto his highway with our own agenda, we either end up with a ticket, 
which makes my wife extremely angry, we end up crashing or we just end up in just bad situations. Today I want to look at Elijah. I want to look at a man who loved God. I want to look at a man who sought after God to, to, to actually carry out a plan for his God, but his plan did not merge to the will and purpose of God's ultimate plan. Let's go ahead and open up the Kings, uh, 1 Kings 19. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. Um, I, know it, I know on the screen it says, uh, I know it, it'll probably go to verse 19, but you can stop at verse 18. I'm going to start at verse 1. And then uh, you guys can um, follow right behind me, and we'll keep it going. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done.
Shaphat of Abel Mohalla. Escapes from the sword of Jehu, shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Our Father in heaven, I'm so grateful that your plans are better than ours. I'm so glad that you have an agenda. I'm so glad that you uh, uh, saw fit before time even began to, to put together a decree. So, Father, be with us today. Lord, be, uh, allow me to speak uh, your word with boldness. I pray that they hear you, Lord. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. And whom we trust, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so just, just by way of background, um, Elisha, we, we catch Elisha. Elisha gets a call. This guy, Elisha, gets, Elijah, gets a call uh, to, to ministry uh, probably like around the 800s, uh, mid-800s. This is about 100 years after David. Um, th- this, is, this is the thing about Elijah, Elijah and why I enjoy Elijah. Because Elijah was one of those prophets that didn't have much trouble early on in his ministry, right? He didn't experience much difficulty early on in his ministry. Even in his call, it wasn't like, I can't do this. Even we see Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they're all basically trying to put off what God has called them to do. Even Moses, they, they're all trying to put off what God's trying to do. Elijah, he, get, Elijah, he gets the call, he goes right away. So God calls him um, and uh, two chapters ahead, and he says, I want you to announce that there's going to be a drought. See, the problem is, during this time, the kingdom is split. And it's not just split physically, but the kingdom is also split and, and jacked up spiritually. The, the, the kings after David have messed up the kingdom to the point where they, they split it, and now they are in spiritual peril. They've lost their way. Not just that they've lost their way spiritually, but through poor leadership, they bankrupted, so to speak, the kingdom. Money isn't as good as it used to be. Things ain't as good as it used to be. And so God calls uh, Elijah to announce that there's a drought. And Elijah goes right away, no problem. I'll announce that there'll be a drought. And immediately, just like, uh, unlike most of the other prophets who had to suffer with the people, what does God do for Elijah? He basically says, you know what? You don't have to sit through this. You can sit this one out. Go be with this widow who have already told you you're coming, and she's going to provide for you through this drought. Elijah says, banging. I'm good. So he goes. This, this woman provides for him, um, says basically this woman and her son, I don't have enough. Elijah said, don't worry about it. My God has it covered. You don't have to worry about it. We're good. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna survive this drought. And we're going to have plenty of food and plenty of drink. And God does it. No problem. And God calls Elijah again so a, a couple years later. And he says, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go before Ahab. And I want you to basically present yourself before Ahab. And so, no problem. Elijah's had no problems with his ministry. Right? So he goes before Ahab. And, and, and in his pride and in his arrogance, he basically challenges Ahab to uh, uh, my God is greater than your God contest, right? And basically what he does is he, he goes before Ahab and says, I want you, I want you to, um, 
I want you to gather up 450 Baal prophets. And you get your bull, I get my bull, and we'll see who God bring, which God brings down fire to sacrifice this bull. Immediately, that's messed up. Why does the king of Israel have access to 450 Baal prophets? So you already know something ain't right. What's not right is the fact that when, when Ahab became king, in order to politically align him, in order to bring political uh, uh, stock to the country and wealth, he married, a, uh, he married a pagan woman in the name of Jezebel. So now Jezebel becomes queen. And the second thing he does is he, makes, he allows Jezebel to build temples in his home so that she's free to worship her God whenever she feels like it. Immediately after that, God says something very powerful and very, that brings, like, that makes me shake. He says, Ahab made God more angry than any other king that was before him. That shows you how real this situation is and how angry God is. So Ahab, his desire is to restore, Ahab thinks that he's going to restore the kingdom and everything is going to be great based off of this, this my God is greater than your God contest. And what does Ahab do? He tries his best. The prophets try their best. They're singing, they're dancing, they're in trances. They're going off, they're doing their thing. Nothing. All right, we're not doing enough. They start cutting themselves to the point where blood is just everywhere. Nothing. Or oh, we're not doing enough. So we, we start, they start making offerings to God, to their God. Nothing. So Ahab begins to taunt them. Oh, your God must be asleep. Maybe you should wake him up. And then Ahab begins to put on a performance. He begins to douse his bull with water, and then he douses his bull with more water, and then he douses his bull with more water. He wants to show that this is really God's, that this is really happening. No tricks up my sleeve. And then immediately, God, Elijah calls to God, and God brings fire onto this bull. Once again, Elijah's had success. No worries, no fears, no struggles. Everything he's wanted to accomplish, he accomplishes. Right after that, he goes and he literally kills 450 of the Baal prophets. Elisha is really smelling himself at this point. He's doing his thing. He goes after Ahab because he thinks, well, that now that I've done this great, now that God has done this great and powerful thing, everything is going to be great. So now he, he begins talking to Ahab before, before chapter 19 as if Ahab and him are boys. You and Ahab, you, you should worship. Go ahead, eat, drink. God is here. We don't have to worship Baal no more. You don't have to go back to that pagan woman no more. But what, 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 what Elijah didn't realize is that's not the way that God was going to bring repentance to Israel. It wasn't through some big, powerful, amazing fire trick. Right? So we get to the point in our story where Elijah is confused. And so, right before chapter 19, he gathers up his garments and he follows Ahab into the capital city. The only reason why he would do something like that after he just killed this woman's prophet is because he thought he won. He thought it was over. He thought the job was done. He thought in his mind that everything was going to be great now. The city was going to be restored back to its greatness. 
There was going to be worship. There was going to be singing. There's going to be dancing. There's going to be songs written to God. Everything was going to be perfect. Small groups were going to grow. And there was going to be real transparency in these groups. Right? Children's ministry, everybody in it from the age of one month up was a Christian now. Babies are now repenting. The word of God is being read in languages that hadn't even been created yet. Because he just knew that this is how God was going to do it. He just knew that it was going to be through his, his, him that God was going to accomplish all these things. There's one, there's only have one point today. And my point is this. The purpose and work of God surpasses our restricted vision and work. The purpose and work of God surpasses our restricted vision and work. Let's look at verse, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. First thing I want, I want you guys to realize, when we assume that God's purpose and work doesn't surpass our vision, we begin to go through a couple of different uh, emotional crises. When we invoke our own agenda instead of merging with God, several things begin to happen. A warped sense of reality. You're not seeing things clearly. And that's what happens to Elijah. First thing that happens to Elijah is after he's done all these amazing things, he's brought a drought, he's, he's, he's prophesied a drought, he's, he's brought fire down from heaven, he's, uh, he's, he's through him, the, the drought has ended, he's killed 450 Baal prophets, everything is going great. But unfortunately, when, it didn't, when his agenda didn't line up to, with God's agenda, he begins to get a warped sense of reality. So what's the first thing that he does? Jezebel makes this threat because she's, she, she, she's, not, she's not moved by this, right? She makes this threat. She says, and, and literally it says, in, in the original language, it says, okay, if you're Elijah, then I'm Jezebel. And basically, she says, I'm going to, she sends a messenger after Elijah to say that I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. Elijah is confused. He's already defeated her. And yet, he still runs. If, and then if he was seeing clearly, he would realize that Jezebel wasn't that serious. Because if Jezebel was serious, she wouldn't have sent the messenger she would have sent the armed soldier with a sword. All Jezebel wants is to get Elijah out of her city as quickly as possible so she can go about business as usual. Elijah doesn't get that. So he bounces out of fear. Second thing happens is where there was once boldness, there is now fear. It says, then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Bathsheba. The problem is, when we begin to work out our own agenda, what usually ends up happening is we end up on an island by ourselves. 
alone. When we end up on an island all alone by ourselves, fear begins to set in. Can I really do this? Is this what really God really has for me? Is God really real? Is he going to do what he said he was going to do? And we still move forward and we press with our plans. And they don't come, they don't come together like they, we thought they would. So we become angry and frustrated and bitter to the point of wanting to quit because we don't want to go anymore. So we get a warped sense of reality where there was once boldness, there is now fear. And thirdly, Elisha forgets where his real strength came from. He forgot who was really fueling him. He was forgot who he was supposed to be dependent on. And so because his strength had depleted, it literally says, he says in verse 4, it is enough. At the bottom he says, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He's empty. He's done. He quits. And we see that, and I'm so convinced that most of the time in in ministry, we quit because we are f- trying to fulfill our own agenda rather, rather than God's. And when it doesn't come together the way we thought it would, we lose hope. That's what's happening to Elijah. Elijah quits. Look at it. He literally says in verse 46, uh, no, uh, in verse uh, chapter 19, verse 3, he says, Then he was afraid. He, rose, he arose and ran for his life, came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant. Now, Elijah is a prophet. Elijah doesn't have servants. What Elisha has is he has a staff, a one-man teenage staff to help him administer, help him through his, his process of fulfilling his calling. And so what Elijah does is he begins to fire his staff. He says, what's the point? No need for you to stick around. You're fired. By the way, you don't get unemployment. And then he shows it even more by leaving the area where his ministry was supposed to take place. He's lost his strength because he was running on his own strength. And he quits. The fourth thing is we become religious. Elisha says twice, both in verse 10 and then later on in the passage, he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, which means very zealous for the Lord the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah has become seriously religious. Elijah believes his work was done with his hands and should have produced a different result, which means that Elisha's perspective is no longer gospel-centered, but man-centered. Elisha doesn't realize how sinful he is, and he doesn't realize how much grace God has given him. So therefore, he's functioning under his own authority. He's become self-centered and religious. He says, I have been zealous for the Lord, which he basically what he's saying is, my plan was foolproof. My plan was perfect. I, saw, I thought this thing through all the way. It was a great ministry plan. It was going to be awesome. It was going to be great. And he's saying, if you notice, Elisha makes it all about him. A lot of times that's what we do in ministry. What God is trying to say, he's greater than your plan. 
Elisha becomes incredibly religious. It says, it was foolproof. And look at what happened. Therefore, I quit. What Elijah doesn't realize is he becomes no more, no less than the Baal prophets who were trying to bring fire out of heaven. He thinks it's his hands that's going to get the job done. Just like when the prophets were shouting, screaming, doing everything they can to get the attention of their God. Even to the point where they say, you know what? I'm not working hard enough. I need to work harder. I need to do more. So what do they do? They cut themselves. I need to do more. I need to do more. I need to do more. And then they just, then they just begin to throw gifts at the altar and to the point where they just quit and they end up dead. What Elijah doesn't realize is he's no different. He assumes that it's, the, the, it's, it's his agenda that's going to bring about change. So here we are in chapter 19. And what God is going to do is he's going to begin to correct Elijah's uh, worldview. He's going to give Elisha a serious reality check. Because what, he needs to, what he's going to tell Elisha is that his work is not done yet. So the first, way, first thing he does to give Elisha a reality check and to let him know that his purpose and work of God surpasses Elijah's, Elijah's restricted vision and work is he comes to him through the angel of the Lord. And this is so beautiful because when we're at our lowest, when we're in our darkest place and we're ready to call it quits, our God, our Father, does something so beautiful. He doesn't come with fire and brimstone. He doesn't come with heavy rebuke. This, this, this angel of the Lord came with hostess cakes and Twinkies. He touches, he, he, he deals with the, both the emotional and physical needs of Elijah. First, he touches him, says, wake up, there's some Twinkies. There's a little Kool-Aid. Elisha goes back to sleep. Comes back, wakes up again. Here's some more. Because the work and the job that you're about to do is too great for you. And you cannot do this no longer on your own. You need me. And I'm going to supply all your needs. One of the, this is a side note. When our brothers and sisters are in a dark place, we say some dumb things. We know we have. Sometimes all we need is a, is a gentle touch. If you're, if you're not the opposite sex, just you, you get what I'm saying. A gentle touch and, and, and some good food. <laughs> that's, that's all. That's all we need. That's all we need. And he will supply all your needs. So before, just before you start going rebuking somebody and, and bashing them and, ah, you messed up. You ha, ha, ha. You thought that was you and that wasn't you, but it was the Lord. Now you need to repent. Before you do that, because that, that, that has his place, just give him a gentle touch through prayer or however and cook him some food. And don't say a lot. <laughs> so that's the first thing God does is he... Through his messenger, uh, another, way of, another way of saying angel of the Lord is 
God's hyperstatic extension of himself. So what God does is he supplies what uh, uh, Elijah needs to continue on the journey. He says, he says, rise, eat, drink, for the journey is too great for you. The journey is greater than you. My plan is greater than you. You cannot do this by yourself. So here's some food. And what does that food do? It literally allows him to get to the next place that God is going to reveal himself to him, which is a 40-day walk. When you let God feed you, when you let God restore you, when you let God strengthen you, and he is doing the, he is doing the work, God will do some amazing things in your life. So he goes, and, and, the, and, and then the second thing he does is he begins to, he begins to ask in order to correct uh, Elijah's jacked up view and perception of God's plan and agenda, not only so he comforts him, but then he begins to ask some questions. So now, he's, now, now the questions begin. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's almost like this, like, like why? It's almost, it's, almost necessary, it's almost rhetorical. It's like God's not looking necessarily for an answer. He's trying to get Elijah to realize that you're not where you're supposed to be. What are you doing here? When God asks questions, God is not asking a question so that he can get information. God's asking questions so that you can understand what it is he is trying to accomplish through you. So he says, what are you doing here? And then Elisha gives his answer, his religious answer. And then God says, you know what? He says in verse in verse 11, and he said, go out, stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind and earthquake, but the, after the wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper, and Elisha heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here? Elisha had put God in a box. He, he assumed that he had God figured out. God had showed up to Moses in a fire, so why not the fire over the, over the sacrifice? God has showed up to Job in a tornado. God had caused earthquakes. God had done these big, magnificent things to reveal himself. But what God was trying to show Elisha is that change doesn't come through these great events. Change comes through my word. And when we miss that and we think it's about us and our talents and our gifts, all we get is a jacked-up vision and bitterness and fear and death. Even, even Jesus had understood that in the sense that Jesus, who once was the word, used the word to defeat Satan. How dare we get to the point where we don't even need the word? If Jesus needed the word, so do we. It's an important part of what we do as believers, and you can't, and you can't take it for granted. So God reveals himself through a silent word. And what ends up happening is, and I'm closing, is what ends up happening is Elijah still doesn't get it. 
unfortunately, because he goes and he repeats himself. I'm the only one left. It's just me. I did everything I could. Let me quit. But God rejects his resignation. And he gives Elisha his next assignment. He says, um, where is it? Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Go back where you were supposed to be working in the first place. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint him to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphat, of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint to be the, the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the word of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what gets Elisha back going is when God reveals his plan through his word. Right? So first thing God is trying to show to Elijah and show to ourselves is that my plan is better than your plan. It's like, I do have a plan. It's a good plan. Trust me, I'm God. I'm good at this. Right? The second thing he's trying to show to Elijah, Elijah is that you're not alone. So get that foolishness out of your head. You are not alone. A lot of us think we're in this thing alone, and we're not. He comforts Elisha by telling him, you know what? Go and anoint these kings and this prophet, and not only that, there are 7,000 in waiting who are going to continue on my work. The beautiful thing about it is, because it doesn't look the way Elijah thought it was supposed to look, he was going to quit. But the beautiful thing about it is God does amazing things with some interesting characters. Even with Haziel. Haziel was, as far as we know, was not a a believer. But God still uses him to do great things. Right? So the first thing he's trying to get to Elijah is, my plan is greater than your plan. You are not alone. Keep on working until I tell you to stop. And even when I tell you to stop, there's still a remnant left that's going to continue on. That remnant is what we call a residue. And this residue leaves a trail all the way up to the cross. So what God is trying to tell you today, if you are a believer, is it's not about you. That's what he's trying to tell you. He's saying that I have a plan and I have an agenda but I want to use you through your talents and gifts that I gave you to help accomplish it. And if you cannot align and merge yourself with my will and my plan, you're going to fail. And I'm still going to keep going. I still, I'm still going to keep going. But if you are an unbeliever, God has something to say to you as well through this. God is trying to say something beautiful. Just like Elijah hid himself in the rock, and just like when the, when the wind came, and when the fire came, and then the earthquake came, he was protected by all this in this rock. And through the protection of this rock, he was able to go out and hear the voice of God. We now have, because of the trail of residue that God has left all the way up to the cross, we now have a rock in Jesus. We now have somebody who's, who we can hide in who can take all the wrath of God, all, 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 all of the wrath of God, 
that was meant for us, the earthquake, the fire, the storm, who could take it, and then because he's able to take it, we can now hear the voice of God who is saying, you are not alone. He's saying, if you repent and turn from your wicked ways, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and I love you. Close your eyes, by yet. For those...